Welcome to the sermon podcast for New Life Church's Cabot Campus. We are located at 3400 West Main Street in Cabot, Arkansas. Our service times are Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. To find more information about what we believe, upcoming events, and more, please visit newlifechurch.tv or you can text the word Cabot to 88000. Uh, if you have your Bibles... Bible apps, we'll have it on the phone as well, but we're going to, uh, well, our primary text, one of our primary texts is going to be Judges chapter 6 today, and so uh, I believe as a Christian, we've been in this series called What is a Christian? And one of the most important things as a Christian is for you to have your security and identity firmly placed in Jesus Christ. You have to have that. In Proverbs 3.26, it says, For the Lord is your security. The Lord is your security. He will keep your foot from being caught in a trap. The trap is insecurity. Insecurity, by definition, is the feeling of anxiety or uncertainty about oneself. The problem is the world teaches us to place our security and certainty in things that are very uncertain, very temporary. Appearances, success, money, and perhaps, yes, these things can give us a sense of confidence, but it certainly isn't lasting confidence. It's confidence that passes away. How many of y'all remember Blockbuster? Anybody in the house? Where's where my people out? Okay, all the young people, you don't even know what we're talking about. But back in the day, there was this, this heavenly place of entertainment called Blockbuster. And, and I'll tell you, every Friday night, man, that place was Popping. It was like, that's, that was a place to be. Friday night rolls around, and, and I remember going, and uh, like from time to time, like I, we'd just get candy on the front end, like, right? So we'd just like walk around that store and eat candy. And sometimes going to Blockbuster was even better and even more entertaining than the movie that you were going to rent at Blockbuster, but you would, you would learn how to do this, at, you know, at, when we were younger, as soon as we pull into the parking lot, we would dart out of the car, go inside, and we would go over to the section where the movie was that we wanted to rent. And we had this ability, almost like x-ray vision, where we could see if the movie was available to rent behind the title cover. You remember that? You could just tell, like, oh, I can tell based on the shadow that it's not here. Right, And so what did you do? You went to the front where the employees were and you said, hey, can you check the Dropbox for the movie, okay? But all of that is a rookie move, all right? Because pro-level blockbuster was, you were there the day before and you went and checked and you went and found out, hey, when is this movie being returned? Because I'm camping out outside so that when they come to drop it off, I'm going to head them off. I'm not even going to let them put it in the box. I'm going to say, oh, is that the, uh, did anybody ever stop somebody before they even put it in the drop box? Like, okay, hey, is that by any chance for you? Is that you returning? What do you got there? Okay. Man, that was the best. That was the best. You can rent all kinds of stuff. You can rent a Sega there. Remember the Segas? <laughs> you remember PlayStation 2s, ran all kinds of stuff there. And I'm sure Blockbuster thought, man, we got this in the bag. <laughs> I 
I'm sure Blockbuster felt really confident until Netflix showed up. And Netflix has ruined all of our lives, quite honestly, (laughs) in one way or another. The point is this, you can place your security in worldly things, but if you do, there will always be someone who has more, makes more, and looks better. So I want to talk about and identify some truths that can help us with our insecurity and talk about some solutions as well. Another verse in 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, no test or temptation that comes your way is beyond the course of what others have had to face. And certainly being drawn into insecurity can be a major temptation for us. All you need to remember is that God will never let you down. He'll never let you be pushed past your limit. He'll always be there to help you come through it. A Christian is someone who says that even in the midst of an uncertain world and an uncertain culture, I have confidence in knowing that God is my security. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I want you to walk, uh, write down some things. You're taking notes. I want you to write down a couple of things, some, a few truths about insecurity. First of all, we all, everybody say all, struggle with insecurity. And if you're not willing to admit that you struggle with insecurity, here's your sign. You struggle with insecurity. We all struggle. They did a survey interviewing 1,000 people. 99.3% remembered exactly how their insecurity developed, what the comment was, the criticism or the circumstance that contributed to their insecurity. And if all of us were honest about our insecurity, we could go around the room and discover most of us remember the same thing. We all struggle with it. Well, most of us struggle with it. The exception would be little kids. I find that little kids are not very insecure. Sometimes we wish that they were a little more insecure because they will cry in public like they are being murdered. They will laugh uncontrollably and inappropriately in public. They'll dance in public. They'll try to take off their clothes in public. Didn't anybody have a kid that just didn't didn't like to be free, you know? Didn't like to be held back and constrained by clothing. They will rip one in public and then immediately blow you a kiss because they just don't care what anyone thinks. Does that sound like anyone you know? The truth is, all of us were like that when we were that age. Well, and some of us may still be like that when we've consumed a little too much alcohol. Okay, there's a possibility for that as well. And they'll ask any question. Kids will ask any question, and they'll ask it as loud as they possibly can, and they'll ask as loud as they possibly can right in front of the person that they have the question about because there's something that's different or weird about that person, and so they want to know, Mom, Dad, why? They don't care. They don't care that you're going to want to crawl under a rock and die after they ask the question. One of our pastor's sons asked the question that, that all of us, all of us know this question is coming at one point or another. We just want to avoid it. And now that I'm bringing it up, some of you, you have small children in here. 
And as soon as I tell you what the question is, there's a good chance they're gonna wanna know what that question is. And all I can say is we've got good children's ministries. You should have checked your kid into them. Because the one question that we all know is gonna come that we don't necessarily want to answer is, where do babies come from? So one of our pastor's sons asked his dad, where do babies come from? And he gave him the cop-out answer. Well, when a daddy just really, really loves the mommy, that's, that's where babies come from. So then the son saw a man with a beer gut and asked his dad, dad, why is the man pregnant? (laughs) The dad said, no son, he has a beer gut. So the next week he saw a woman who was very pregnant and he went and asked her, how much beer have you been drinking? (laughs) The point is kids are naive to a lot. They're naive to common sense, naive to social norms, naive to life, but also naive to insecurity. And sadly, someday every kid learns what insecurity is because all of us have learned what insecurity is. Number two, insecurity is learned. We are only born with two inherent fears, the fear of falling and the fear of loud sounds. Uh, Studies have shown those are the only two fears that a newborn baby would even react or respond to. Every other fear is learned, including your biggest insecurity. When I was a kid, when I was younger, I didn't care what clothes I wore until I got made fun of for wearing rustler jeans and Christian t-shirt. I wasn't insecure about crying when I saw injustice until I got bullied and beat up for crying. I wasn't insecure about not being smart until When I was in third grade, I got made fun of by mixing up my words when I had to read out loud. And all of that is one of the reasons why I'm also thankful that I had people that in spite of all the contrary truths that the enemy tried to convince me were actual truths, I had people that spoke the real truth into my life. This is the reason why the voice of a parent into their child, the voice of the biblical community that you surround yourself with has to be louder, bolder, and filled with more conviction than any voice that the world is trying to speak over you or over your child. Because if not, they'll give in to those insecurities as well. Insecurities have noticeable side effects. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 17, and then in verse 20, it says, a good tree produces good fruit. A bad tree produces bad fruit. Verse 20, yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, you can identify people by their actions. And you can identify an insecure person through some signs. You could call these the signs of Saul because Saul was a great case study in insecurity. Jealousy and envy. David killed Goliath and Saul was okay with that until David started getting a lot of recognition for his exploits. And then Saul was incredibly insecure, jealous. He envied David to the point where he spent a long time trying to hunt David down and kill him. You can learn a lot 
about somebody by how they handle losing. I think it's one of the most important things that you can teach a kid is not necessarily how to win as much as it is how to lose well. And some of you have not done that. <laughs> I struggle with that. Another thing, blame transfer. In other words, they don't take personal responsibility. Saul loved to point fingers at others' mistakes, but he never owned his own. A coach once said, how insecure do you have to be to not be able to say, my bad? I'd also say there's a lot of coaches out there that need to get better at taking personal responsibility for where they've failed. And also the fear of man. If somebody is conforming to crowds to seek approval, that is insecurity. It's good for you to be respectful and it's good to have a good name and a good reputation. But Jesus said, beware of when all people speak, speak well of you. And we have to get to a place where you say, I want people to like me, but I will not surrender my Christian values, my morality or the standard of God's word in order for people to like me. Number four, you can be falsely secure. It's another thing about insecurity. You can be falsely secure. Just because you project security doesn't mean you actually possess security. Some ways that people will try to project it, money. There's a lady who is a very successful CEO of a company and she owned homes all over the country. At one point though, she was robbed at gunpoint in one of her homes in New York City because they knew that she had money. She told a friend right after that, she lived in constant everyday fear that she was going to be killed for her money. She had hundreds of millions of dollars and it was the greatest source of her greatest insecurity. Success. I don't necessarily care for this person uh, in a sporting level. I don't know much about him on a personal level, but there's not many that have been more successful at what they used to do than Tom Brady. Seven Super Bowls at what is arguably one of the most difficult positions on the field, okay? So you can hate all you want, but the dude could flat out play. But when asked about his success, he said, there must be more. So instead of football bringing him security, it actually just exposed his biggest insecurity and emptiness. Appearances. Some of the most insecure people in the world are supermodels because of the culture of comparison. And it is the true with us. Comparison is the greatest thief of joy and it can cause more insecurity than anything. Because typically speaking, especially living in a social media driven world where there's a lot of filters being used. Sometimes I'll meet people in real life, I'm like, you don't look the same as you do online. The issue is we're comparing ourselves what, with what the world would say is perfect and you'll never be secure. And God is obviously more concerned with the condition of your heart than your appearance. Problem is insecurity gets us wasting 
all of our time and energy and emotion worrying about things that don't even get us into heaven, that will mean nothing in eternity, nothing. So how do I break free from insecurity? There's a story in Judges 6 where all of Israel was insecure, an entire nation. The long story short is the one who gave gave them security, God, they had abandoned him. So to set it up in in chapter 12, verse 12, it says, or chapter two, verse 12, it says, the Israelites abandoned the Lord God of their ancestors, the God who brought them out of Egypt. They followed other gods of people around them. So God steps aside and says, look, if you don't want me to be your security, so be it. And immediately Israel's enemies come in and overtake them. And the moment that we place our hope in something other than God, the same thing happens to us. So the Midian people, the Midian army, the Midianites come and they begin to steal Israel's crops every year, every year, just like insecurity will steal your God-given confidence. And in Judges chapter six, starting in verse six, and then I'll skip around a couple of verses. It says, Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Ebezer, Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press. We've talked about this before, but the the picture of this is so powerful because a a wine press typically was actually a pit that had been dug down in the ground, a deep pit, okay? So he's using something for something wasn't intended to be used for. But the reason why he's in the bottom of this is because he's trying to hide, but he's threshing wheat, meaning that he is trying to separate chaff. He's trying to separate what was not wheat from what was wheat, the kernels of wheat. And the way that you would do that is you would take the wheat and you would throw it up in the air and the wind and breeze would take the chaff away so that the kernels of wheat, what you needed, would fall to the ground. There's no wind in a pit. There's no wind in a pit. And that is a great picture for how some of us try to live our lives sometimes. What I love is in the Word so many times when it talks about wind, it talks about the Holy Spirit. And there's so many of us, we are working so hard down in a pit, but we're void of the power of the Holy Spirit to separate what doesn't need to be there. And so he's in there and basically when you're trying to thresh wheat without a breeze, you just throw stuff up in the air and it just comes right back down on top of you. And he's doing this. And it's in this moment of fear and insecurity that an angel of the Lord shows up. And in verse 12, it says, he appeared to him and said, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. And that is also a great picture of exactly how God approaches us. Because in our moments of greatest insecurity and fear, I don't believe God shows up and rebukes you. I believe what God does is he shows up and he speaks truth to you. And he says, you don't see yourself this way, but it's irrelevant because I'm a supernatural God that operates outside of what you can see. 
And so I'm just gonna tell you what I see and hopefully it'll sink in so you'll believe it. Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Like covered in stuff. And then the Lord turned to him in verse 14. Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Again, that's, that's how God speaks to us. If you try real, real hard, no. If you're good enough, no. I spoke this into you before the foundation of the earth, before you ever drew your first breath. I already put inside of you everything you need to overcome every plan, every attack that the enemy would ever bring against you. Go in the strength you already have. Let it be revealed. Let it be uncovered from underneath the mess of your insecurity, from being in the pit. Go in the strength you have. But Lord, man, we all got butts when it comes to God, don't we? Some of us got little butts and some of us got big butts, but we always try to bring our butt to God. But God, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh and I am the least in my entire family. That's the truth he had believed, he had chose to receive. That's the insecurity. So God winds up convincing Gideon that he's going to be with him. He's gonna help him with the battle against the Midianites. And the long story short, Gideon winds up gathering an army of 32,000 warriors. But when he lays out the plan, what's gonna happen, 22,000 of them are too scared to go do it. So he's left with 10,000 and God says there's way too many still. So he brought that number down to 300. Why? Because God loves stacking up the odds. And God instructs them to light torches and to blow their ram's horns. And if they'll do that simultaneously around the Midianite camp, when they wake up, they'll wake up in terror. And then when they, when they saw those flames and they heard what sounded like a multitude, when it sounded like an army, they freaked out. They freaked out so much, they started killing one another because they couldn't differentiate between who the real enemy was. And just like Gideon's army, there is a fire that God has given you that can totally take out the enemy of insecurity. But before you ever step foot on the battlefield each day, you're gonna have to figure out the weapons that you fight with against your insecurity. And God's given you some. How are you gonna prepare for that battle? How many of you have ever seen the rugby teams to do, that do what's called a, a haka before the game? Have you ever seen this before? Uh, it's, it's powerful, like it's intimidating. And so I've got a clip to, to show you what a haka is.
Like, if it were me, I'd be like, uh, hey, coach, yeah, they hit the hockey. We might as well just get in the bus. I don't, uh, this is, this is not gonna, this isn't gonna go well. One of the things I love about that particular clip is they're the away team. And the home crowd is doing their cute little cheer in the background. And they are undaunted about it. And, and so this is a, a, a traditional thing that they've done for hundreds and hundreds of years. But it's a challenge. It's a like, bring it, big boy. We got something for you. God has called every one of us before we step into our day to find our Holy Spirit haka. You're going to have to have a confidence about not who you are, but about the God that is in you, that's going to help you, that's going to be there with you. So some weapons against insecurity, godly obedience, godly obedience, submission to his plan. What God is asking Gideon to do seemed impossible. But I want you to think about how much confidence and faith it built in Gideon when God came through. You ever wonder why God asks us to do things that we don't wanna do? It's so that when they work out, we have no choice but to give him all the glory. No choice but to put our security in the fact that he alone could have gotten us through it. And God does this a lot in the Bible. He asks people to do stuff all the time. I think sometimes when we read the scripture, we just assume that it was an easy choice for them, that they always wanted to do it. I don't necessarily read it that way. Do you think David wanted to go up against Goliath? Like the, most theologians believe he was probably around 13, 14 years old when he faced Goliath. I mean, the, he's got like three armpit hairs and a slingshot. Like I, I don't think, I, I would imagine there was some insecurity that he had facing the greatest champion warrior known on earth at that point. But he was obedient. Did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I call them Benny, want to go into the fiery furnace? No. They had godly obedience. Did Daniel want to go into the lion's den? No. Godly obedience. Did Moses want to speak in front of the Israelites? No. His greatest insecurity was speaking. Godly obedience leads to confidence and it's impossible to have confidence in God and be insecure at the same time. They don't mix. So some of you, let's bring it to where you may be. Some of you, you may be saying, I don't wanna give or tithe. I don't see the point. But if you are willing, you will learn that security always will follow generosity. I don't wanna forgive them. But if you're willing, you will begin to find healing and security and knowing that as far as it depended on you, you did everything to keep the bond of peace and the unity of the spirit. And the Holy Spirit will reveal to you that unforgiveness leads to bitterness and bitterness is you drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. But if you will have godly obedience, he'll set you free. And you may be saying, I don't wanna fully live for Jesus. You may not say it with your words, but you say it with your life, with your lifestyle with your actions, because you're thinking, I still have time. But if you're willing, you'll learn 
that joy doesn't come from pleasure, it comes from purpose, and you can only find purpose in Jesus. Number two, you're gonna have to find your secret place. Godly obedience, find your secret place. How many of y'all remember having a secret fort when you were a kid? Anybody in the house? I had a secret, we had secret forts, and we had really good forts too, because a lot of times, we had livestock growing up and living in Colorado, we had to hay all the way through winter. And so we'd have these huge stacks of hay, huge stacks of hay. And my parents never wanted us to go and play on these stacks of hay. And I just wanna confess to you right now, mom, we were never obedient when you told us not to play on the stacks of hay. And we would go because those huge stacks of hay, man, made great forts. Cause you could like, we, we would make like, secret rooms and caverns inside of these huge stacks of hay and like reinforce them with boards and all that. And it, it was dangerous because at any point, the whole thing could have collapsed down and we would have suffocated and it would have been unfortunate. And, but, but we had these secret forts that we would build and, and it, it, was, it was like your real home. Like it was the place that you really wanted to be and hang out. Like you would bring personal items in there like stage it, you know, set it up, you know. I remember at one point we built a fort out in the woods and we had taken a bunch of stuff up there. Uh, we stockpiled weapons there, you know, that we had as kids, like, you know, guns, 22s and, and BB guns and stuff like that. Uh, what we didn't know, it was on somebody else's property and they found our fort. <laughs> and, and I'll never forget the guy owning the property, like walking down the road, carrying all of our weapons, <laughs> coming down to our house, that was unfortunate. Uh, and then we had to go tear down, it was an awesome fort too, but we had to go tear the whole thing down because it was on somebody else's property. Hey, if a kid ever builds a fort on your property, let him be a kid. Joy killer. <laughs> but there's just something about that, you know. There is a place like that that you need to have with God. And it's just yours. And you're excited to, to be there. You're excited to continue to build on it, work on it. What in the world is a secret place? In Psalm 91.1, it says, who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And Jesus brought clarity to this. In Matthew 6, verse 6, he said, but you, when you pray, go into your room and when you've shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. The secret place is just simply any place where you choose to go and spend time in dialogue with your creator privately. You and the Lord. Uh, and church services don't really count. You can get prayed for, you can certainly pray, but this is, this is not the secret place. It's a place that's just you and Jesus. Just, it might be in your car, it might be on a drive, it, it might be in the woods, it might be in a deer stand, it might be in a duck blind, it might be on a riverbank. But it's a place where you're intentionally spending time with him. The reason why is because the root of all insecurity starts when you don't spend time in the secret place. Because when you don't spend time with him each day set apart 
you won't be confident that you're set apart and that he's got a plan for you and he's got things to tell you and things he wants to do in you and through you. I deal with insecurity to this day, but I wanna tell you when I begin to pray and specifically when I pray in the spirit, I can't explain to you the confidence that it gives me. It's unlike anything else in my life. And I had a pastor tell me once, you need to pray until joy and confidence hit your heart. So that's what I do. And the Holy Spirit helps me. Some of you will continue to wrestle with insecurity until you start wrestling with God in prayer in the secret place. Also, embrace your weakness. The things that you're insecure about, admit it. This is what Paul, the apostle said about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse nine. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. So to walk in moral authority on this, I feel like I do this, but I wanna tell you something that may seem counterintuitive based on what I'm doing right now in this moment. But the truth is one weakness and potential insecurity that I have is I'm very insecure when it comes to speaking. And I know that sounds a little bit like hearing the barber say oops when they're giving you a haircut. But I can have a problem with caring way too much about what people think. I can care way too much whether or not my words are powerful, I'm afraid they won't be powerful and I get anxious about it all the time, all the time. And, and I don't always practice what I preach. You know, I know what I would tell any one of you if you were struggling with anxiousness or insecurity or fear around something. And, and what I would tell you is the absolute truth, but I also know that sometimes it's easier to say than it is always to do. And, and one example would be even this sermon today, because typically when the Lord is, is asking me to say something that I know is going to maybe hit a little harder and a little more close to home than maybe other messages, I can always tell when that's gonna be the case because I won't sleep well the night before. I'll, I'll turn and twist and I, won't, I just won't be comfortable. And, and, and then the enemy will come and begin to whisper that nobody's gonna show up anyway. So don't worry about it. Remember last week when this happened? Yeah, there's a bunch of people that aren't gonna come back to church because of that this week. So don't worry about it. There's only gonna be like five or six people there anyway to hear it. So you don't need to worry about whether or not it's a good message, okay? So as I say all of that, and I needed to clarify this the first service and I did it, and I wanna clarify it right now. I'm going to boast all the more in my weakness. I don't deserve to do what I do. I'm not qualified, but I'm called. And God has equipped me to do what I do. And I want you to know that when I wake up on Sunday morning, I can be incredibly insecure, but I do the things that I've been telling you to do. I get up and I get into my secret place and I find my Holy Spirit haka and I begin to declare and I begin to pray in the spirit and I begin to quote scripture and I begin to shake off the insecurity so by the time that I roll onto this property, I'm ready to kick the devil in the teeth every single Sunday. But sometimes that's a daily process. Sometimes that happens every single day. I just, it's just the truth. 
And I have to believe that there might be some of you that if you were really honest, you deal with the same thing. And the devil's got you. And he's holding you back from everything that God has for you and everything that God wants to do in you and through you. And he doesn't want you to accomplish those things. But God, man, he's got some things to say. So what I've learned is this, the things that I feel insecure about is where I need God the most. And that's good to have to create a dependency on him. So it may be leadership, maybe you feel insecure about leading anything. What I would say is this, if you're going to embrace your weakness, if you're gonna embrace your weakness, maybe instead of waiting for just your natural leadership qualities to come out, you just need to lead something. You need to step out. You need to lead a life group. You need to lead a Bible study. You need to invite some friends, whether it's around a break room or a teacher's classroom and say, hey, I'd like you guys to come and study the word with me. And if that, the idea of that mortifies you, good. Let Jesus work something in you in that weakness. Maybe your biggest insecurity is approval. The fear of what other people think or say. And you've wanted to be bold and you've wanted to stand up for something right. But fear comes and creeps in and says, no, you're gonna get made fun of. You're gonna be rejected for this. You're not gonna get as many likes with this. Embrace the fear that you feel. It starts in your chest. It creates a knot in your throat. Let those things be a sign to you that you have no choice but to step up and speak out at that moment. Maybe your biggest insecurity is your past. Well, let's look to one of the great examples of somebody that had a pretty colorful past. There was a man named Stephen in the New Testament and he was one of the disciples. And at one point he was confronted with believing in the way, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there was a group of religious people and one of the people that was a part of that was a man named Saul, who later became Paul. And Paul stood up and supported the murder of Stephen in that moment, helped get him stoned to death. At one point or another though, Saul became Paul and he stood up and he embraced his past, he obeyed the Lord. And as a result, thousands of people gave their heart to God because they knew that Jesus had to have been the one that rose from the grave because how else could someone so evil be used for something so good? You need to embrace your past. And remember this, the word says that the devil is the accuser of the brethren. So two notes on that. One, don't be a Christian who bad mouths other Christians. Don't be a Christian who bad mouths other churches, other pastors their teaching, anything like that. The enemy is the accuser of the brethren and he doesn't need a partner. He can do it on his own. But the other thing is he will try to accuse you. And the primary thing that he does is he likes to throw your past up in your face. So I don't remember who said this originally, but I always thought about it. Every single time that the enemy reminds you of your past, you need to remind him of his future and put him underfoot and put him under authority. Actually, I think I had that on one of those Christian t-shirts growing up. God wants you to defeat insecurity. The Holy Spirit wants to help you. You've got to step out and be obedient.
let's close our eyes, bow our heads. First thing I wanna do is just make sure that every person in this room has at least had the opportunity to receive the free gift of salvation, to have a personal relationship with Jesus, to surrender their life to Him. Going to church is not what gets you saved. Being a good person is not what gets you saved. The truth is in comparison to a holy God, there are no good people. We all need a savior. We all need a savior. And if you're here right now and you just sense in your heart that you're away from him, you're away from your creator, you're away from a genuine and personal relationship with him. You don't have peace. You don't have any confidence about your future, about your eternity. The Lord would want you to leave this place today completely confident that no matter what happened, even if it happened this afternoon, that you would be able to spend eternity with him. But he'd also want you to leave this place with at least the beginning of an understanding and revelation that there is a purpose, a life, a life to the full that he has for you, that he paid the price for, that he wants you to live out. There's a purpose, a holy purpose, a godly commission that he's put on your life that he wants you to fulfill. And there is nothing like it. There's nothing that'll bring more joy, more, more fulfillment than living out that purpose. But you can't have any of that until your life is surrendered to the purpose giver. So if you're here and you just recognize I'm away from Jesus, I'm away from the Lord because I've never truly surrendered my life to him and I wanna do that. What I'm gonna ask you to do is not what gets you saved, but what I'm gonna ask you to do is an act of faith and obedience. It's you boldly just confessing it's me. And if you know that you need him, I want you to put your hand up right now across this room. Everybody else has their heads bowed, their eyes closed. You don't need to worry about anyone else, but if you know you need to call on Jesus as your Lord and Savior, put your hand up high, be bold about it. Say, I need him. And as soon as I see you, put your hand down. I need to call on Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Got you, thank you. Yes, ma'am, thank you. I thank you, I got you there at the back. Anyone else, I need to call on Jesus. I'm away from him, thank you. I got you there. Anyone else? I need to call on Jesus. Okay. Praise God for that. Anybody else? Anybody just a little bit stubborn? Anybody dealing with a little bit of fear of man right now and it's causing you, it's keeping you from being bold about declaring that you need Jesus? It's a good time to break through that right now. Thank you. There in the back. Yes, sir. Got you, dude. Yes, anyone else, I need to call on Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I'm away from him. I'm ready to surrender my life and never turn back. Anyone else? Okay. I just wanna pray with you. The, the word says, if you will confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, then you're saved. And so there, there's two parts to that. One, it's the decision that you're already making right now in your heart that you're, you're gonna surrender your life to him. But it also says that you confess with your mouth, which basically just means that you need to make sure that people know that you're a believer. Why? Because it'll build your faith. It'll hold you accountable. It'll encourage you. It'll give you an opportunity for a testimony and a witness about God's goodness and his love and acceptance in your life. 
But right there, I wanna just lead you in a prayer. And you can repeat this after me. Just say, Jesus, I need you. I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. I ask for your forgiveness. And I invite you to come and be the Lord of my life. Thank you that you rose from the grave. When you rose from the grave, you defeated sin so that I can walk in freedom. You defeated death so that I could have the hope of heaven, but also so that I can fulfill my purpose here and now. I repent, I turn away from my sin and I turn towards you. I need you. Lead me by your Holy Spirit. Help me to understand and have a hunger for your word. Help me to be connected with other Christ followers so I can be encouraged. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you.